Hi, my name is Kyle Bomstead and I'm a member here with Restored Church. Uh, if you're new, we want to say welcome and thank you for tuning in. Uh, we believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to, so we would love the opportunity to be able to connect with you. Uh, if you want to learn more about our church or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website at restoredtemecula.church and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events, and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app stores. Uh, with all that said, we hope you enjoy the message. All right. Fantastic. You guys did it. You moved around. This is great. We've got a pocket here, a pocket there, a pocket here, a pocket there. Fantastic. Okay, so we're going to continue this morning with our message. Now, ordinarily, we have someone preaching live. Uh, it's actually something that we value, is, is in-person live preaching. And I think that um, this is one of those situations where right now, everyone is adjusting. Have you noticed? Like, everyone's figuring stuff out. I was talking to Mike earlier. Businesses are just kind of figuring out staffing at the moment because everyone is sick. Uh, schools are kind of figuring stuff out. Our kids were in uh, uh, one week kind of, I don't know, like an in-between, like coming back to school, but not quite ready to do that. So they were on Zoom for a week. Everyone's just kind of adjusting right now. It's a, it's a unique kind of different set of circumstances than what we're used to. So here we are. Uh, Tom will be preaching from a screen, which is a little bit strange. There he is. Uh, he has COVID right now. I just found out yesterday. He, he, mess, he called me yesterday and he's like, hey man, I have COVID, but thankfully he's feeling like pretty well. It's, it's really mild at this point, but um, he didn't think it would be responsible to show up and preach uh, when he has COVID. So with that said, his message was basically done. It's Saturday. I was really looking forward to doing some, some like mowing of the lawn and, you know, working in the yard. So I was like, I don't, if I prep a message right now, it's it wouldn't be good for you. It wouldn't be good for me. So he uh, recorded the message, and so he's going to be preaching uh, this morning. Uh, just as a heads up, this kind of goes without saying, but we uh, this doesn't represent a shift in what we want to do or how we want to have our gatherings. We're not going to have like video preaching happening all the time. This is like a one-off kind of thing, a unique set of circumstances. So with that said, Tom is going to be preaching, not live, from his house, and uh, enjoy this message. Hello, friends. Tom here. Um, as you can tell, I'm not with you physically. Uh, on Saturday morning, I tested positive for COVID. So I uh, didn't want to spread anything. So I am, uh, I am recording this sermon for you now. Obviously, this is not ideal, but I'll be honest with you. I'm really grateful for, um, for technology in that <clears throat> at the last minute like this, uh, we can kind of scramble together as a team and make something like this happen. Uh, the Word of God is a treasure. It is our, oh, it is everything to us as a church. And so knowing that we can um, still open the scriptures together, um, even though I'm not physically with you, uh, it, it brings me a lot of peace in my heart. So just know I miss you. I wish I could be there. This really was like a last minute thing. Um, but in order to, uh, yeah, in order to not spread COVID, I'm here at home and preaching to a camera. I thought I would never have to do this again, uh, but here we are. And so uh, just to give you a bit of an update, I have very mild symptoms. Um, 
I was feeling a little bit funky and I was like, you know what, uh, just to be totally like uh, above reproach here, I don't want to spread anything. Um, and just so I didn't violate my conscience personally, I was like, I'm just going to get a test. And sure enough, I was negative for influenza A, negative for influenza B and positive for COVID. So all that being said, I know that there are many uh, families in our church that are that are sick right now, some with COVID, some without. So just continue to pray that we'd get through this season um, with our health intact and that we'd all be able to be together again uh, fairly soon. So with all that being said, I'm just going to jump right in. Uh, hopefully this is all working out. Big big ups to Mark, who is actually my brother, Mark, who uh, has COVID as well. Him and Cassie both, and they put together this video. We've kind of been uh, doing it back and forth uh, online, just kind of trying to make it happen. So big props to Mark for making this happen. But I want to jump in here. We're, we're going we're gonna to continue our series through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We're in this series called The King and His Kingdom. And the, the, the point behind, the heart behind this series is we want to learn about what the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God. And it's funny because I think, I think Western Christians, we have this idea that, that the kingdom of God is kind of like out there somewhere. It's like this, I don't know, like beyond the, beyond the cosmos, like this, this distant place, you know, like heaven is far away, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And I love D.A. Carson. He's a, he's a uh, Bible theologian. He says this regarding the kingdom of, uh, of heaven. He says, God's kingdom is more a reign than a realm, more a power than a place. And I want you to think about that a second as we start to unpack another week in this series investigating God's kingdom. It's more of a reign, God's reign, he's the king, right? It's more of a reign, a rule, a reign, than it is a realm. It's more a power, like a present reality, a power, than it is a place that you go to. So with that being said, I want to jump into Matthew chapter 3 with you. Uh, there are 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, and all of them are to help the reader better understand Jesus, the King, and his kingdom. And so Matthew chapter 3 is no different. Let's jump in. Before we do, I want to pray. So will you join me in praying for our time right now? Holy Spirit, thank you for your grace and your presence with us as a church. Thank you that I get to be part of this church family. I thank you that I get to be on a team of ministers that rally at the last moment. God, you really are so kind to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would um, you would kind of transcend technology and screens and all this, that, that the truth of your word um, would do something in us. It would make its way into the deepest part of our mind, our body, our soul. And that ultimately, Lord, that you would teach us, you would teach us more about the kingdom and the opportunity we have to live with you under your rule and reign. So we love you, Jesus. We look to you now. Spirit, help us. Father, we are grateful. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so we're gonna be in Matthew chapter three, starting here in verse one. I'll be mostly in the CSB translation today, the Christian Standard Bible. Let's jump in. It says this. In those days, the those days there is now, we're transitioning out of Matthew chapter two where Jesus was a child. He's no longer a child. We've kind of fast forward, okay? So in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Really quick, we're gonna pause. John the Baptist, who is John the Baptist? 
Okay, John the Baptist has nothing to do with the Baptist denomination of Christianity, although we love Baptists, they're great. Uh, it has nothing to do with that. You see, John the Baptist was kind of known for living out his purpose as a baptizer, okay? That's what we're about to read. He was, he was famous for baptizing people, for preaching a message and then baptizing people. Now, uh, Luke's gospel account, it tells us that John the Baptist was actually a relative of Jesus, probably Jesus's cousin. And his purpose in life was spectacular, okay? I don't know about you. Do, do you know your purpose It's one of the most important questions that you could ever answer. What is my purpose? John the Baptist knew his purpose and his purpose in life was to be a forerunner of the Messiah. The Messiah is the Christ, right? The savior, the promised one that would come and deliver God's people. A forerunner of the Messiah. That means that he would prepare people for the Messiah's arrival. All right, and that's what we're gonna see here in just a second. Now, if you notice, it said that he came preaching in the wilderness, Now, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but man, if you want to do like a deep dive into some just beauty, the depth of the scriptures, man, study the wilderness in the Bible. Okay, just to give you a couple different examples here, the wilderness is a special place in the scriptures. The wilderness is where God revealed himself to Moses. The wilderness is where God gave the Israelites the law, you know, the Ten Commandments, the the, the law, the, the, the commandments for 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 human flourishing. The wilderness is where God established his covenant with Israel, his people, right? He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. The wilderness is the site of refuge for King David and for the prophet Elijah. The wilderness was symbolic in the scriptures and it, it was symbolic of God's deliverance of his people. That's crucial to understand. The wilderness is symbolic for the deliverance of God's people, okay? So you have this prophetic forerunner in John the Baptist, right? He's a prophet. He's this prophetic forerunner of the Messiah, of the promised savior and deliverer, and he's preaching in the very place that symbolized deliverance to God's people. Okay, that's just scratching the surface. I encourage you, uh, do a deep dive in the wilderness in the scriptures and you will be pleasantly surprised at what you find. Okay, so let's, let's keep going here. Uh, look back at verse one. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. Now you know who he is. You know the symbolism behind the wilderness. He's preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, here's his message, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah who said, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that's a a prophecy from Isaiah about John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. Let's keep going. Verse four. Now, John had a camel hair, hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Okay. So he's, John's basically like, looks like a hippie. He's on the ketogenic diet. You know, he's He's an interesting cat. Verse five, then people from Jerusalem, all Judea and the vicinity around the Jordan or of the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Okay, pause again for a second. So John the Baptist, the foreigner of the Messiah, the prophet, he's out in the wilderness preaching and his message, it gets around to people and all like kind of the different region or the region all around where he's at there. 
So these people that hear about his message, they go out to him in the wilderness. They're hearing his message. And it says they're confessing their sins and being baptized. Okay, did you catch what his message was? Repent because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has come near. We'll get to more. We'll get to more on that in just a bit. Now, in the next verses that we're gonna read here, we're gonna see two unique people groups that show up to these baptisms, okay? You have the Pharisees and you have the Sadducees. Now, they're both Jewish. They're both religiously Jewish people, people groups. But what I want you to do, just to kind of give you some context, I want you to think of them as like progressives and conservatives, okay? The Pharisees would have been more progressive and the Sadducees would have been more conservative, Now, typically, the Sadducees at the time, they were like uh, aristocrats. And so uh, if you're not familiar with what an aristocrat is, it's basically like the high class of a society, okay? And that high class is typically the result of birth. So uh, a modern-day equivalent of of a a modern-day aristocrat would be like the Kennedy family in America, or, or even like more recently, Kardashians. High class, typically because of birth. So I want you to think of these, these Pharisees and these Sadducees as like the religious VIPs. Okay, they're about to show up on the scene. Let's check it out here in verse seven. When he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Underline that. Therefore, produce fruit consistent with repentance. And don't presume and say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I. He's talking about the Messiah, about Jesus. I am not worthy to remove his sandals. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. All right, that's our passage. So what I want to do for about, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes is I want, there's three things here that are pertaining to God's kingdom that I want to highlight from this passage. Okay, the first thing is this. Participation in God's kingdom requires repentance. Look back at verse two. This is John's message. Repent because the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Okay, Are you familiar with what repentance is? We talk about this a lot, but for whatever reason, I see in the lives of people, maybe it's not registering as much as we'd want it to. Repentance, I think, is misunderstood, especially in Western Christianity. Okay, what is repentance? Now, every single parent in the room, uh, every single person in the room, you've experienced this because you've done this to your parent. But what what I've seen happen over and over again in my parenting, and I know I do this to my parents and I see it all the time, is a child will get upset and they will inevitably turn their back 
to their parents. They're frustrated. They don't want to hear what they have to say. They don't like it. It's basically kind of like a form of a temper tantrum. They turn their back, turn, literally turn away, right? This is a really helpful picture that illustrates kind of what happens when we sin against God, our maker, our creator. Literally, to sin is to reject God in his ways, right? It's, it's turning your back to God. Repentance is turning back to God. I'm gonna say that again, okay? Sin is turning your back to God. Repentance is turning back to him. It, 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 repentance, it's, it's abandoning sinful lifestyles while expressing sorrow for that sin. Not just because of the effects that that sin has on me or you, but the effect that it has on other people and primarily the effect that it has on our relationship with our creator, with our maker, with our God. One of the things that I, I, I mention quite a bit when it comes to repentance is repentance is I'm sorry and I'm stopping. It's an internal remorse for the sin and it's also an external behavior that, that, that stops it. And it goes, I'm not doing that anymore. Hopefully you're getting this, okay? It's something that happens on the inside and something that happens on the outside. And this is something that for me personally, I really want to teach my children. I really want them to understand repentance. Um, <clears throat> you, you see it happen all the time. A kid, there'll be conflict or something and and they will like inevitably do something that, that introduces conflict, right? And then what do we do as parents? We say, hey, you need to go apologize. You need to go say, I'm sorry. Listen, Saying I'm sorry is a wonderful thing. It's really, really good. We want to train our children to take responsibility for their actions, especially their sin. We want them to acknowledge it, to take responsibility for it, and to ask for forgiveness. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, saying I'm sorry, right? But hear me. Whenever there's conflict, especially with children, this isn't just unique to children, but I'm a dad, and so this is a, a, a heavy burden on my heart that I want to develop my girls in a specific way. Whenever there's conflict, it's an amazing opportunity to coach and train our kids in repentance, okay? In acknowledging what's going on in an internal level, really, what's happening in here? Why did you do that? And, and in being able to see what's going on and then externally addressing as well. So the internal, I'm sorry. The external, I'm stopping. I'm taking responsibility for it, okay? Here's the thing. Training children or even people, giving yourself over to this as an adult, it takes way more time than just, hey, go, go tell that person you're sorry. We've seen it a hundred times. I did it as a kid. I'm sure you did it as a kid. You said sorry, not because you really were sorry, but because you just wanted to kind of like put the conflict aside, all right? That's not biblical repentance. It's not necessarily a bad thing because it's, it's almost like a, it's like a halfway thing, okay? It takes way more time than just behavior modification, to train someone in repentance. Because again, it deals with the internal and the external. Way more time to walk them through the process, but it's worth it. Why? Because my point, participation in God's kingdom requires repentance, internal and external. 
I want that for my kids. I want that for me. I want that for all of us. Participation in God's kingdom requires repentance. And we see that here in this passage. My next point that I want to draw your attention to is this. You judge a tree by its fruit. Look back at verse 7. We're going to read 7 and 8. When he, John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, listen to this, produce fruit consistent with repentance. Okay, so what I want to do right now to help illustrate this is I drew up a diagram on my iPad. So let's throw that up there. Hopefully you guys can see this right now. It's pretty silly. Don't judge my drawings, but uh, iPads are really convenient for getting ideas on paper and drawing them up. So I want you to take a look at this. And you can see here, there's the stick man. This is tree man. Uh, I picked man not because uh, I'm biased towards men, but because they're easier to draw. So you you can insert yourself here. This is not gender specific. This is all human beings, okay? Tree man. And I want you to notice tree man here. He is, he's planted in soil, okay? Half man, half tree, hybrid being. Just go with me, okay? Go, try, try, to, try to follow me here. He's planted in soil. And do you, can you see what kind of soil he's planted in there? He's planted in poisonous soil. So there's all these kind of poisonous things happening in the soil. Ultimately, the poison is a symbol of sin. And what happens is it, it, ultimately over time, you start to, he starts to absorb that sin, that poison, okay? <clears throat> We're born into a sinful, war, a sinful world and we've absorbed the poison. It's in us now. Now, <clears throat> I want you to look over at the, the yellow box there, life's trials. Things happen to us in life, okay? Things don't always go our way. There's difficult things. There's pain. There's loss. There's not being able to be with your church family because you tested positive for COVID on Saturday morning. Like, it's frustrating, okay? I wish I could be with you guys. Life's trials, things happen to us. Things are done to us. We experience pain and suffering and things not the way they're supposed to be, okay? So you can see the, the blue arrow, the blue arrow. Life's trials happen to us. And then we as human beings, we as tree men, if you will, we respond, we react to those trials in life, okay? And those reactions are the fruit on our branches, okay? These are like, um, <clears throat> these are like our thoughts and our actions, okay? Typically, our thoughts are hidden, so people don't really see those. But we also have our actions, which oftentimes are on display for all to see, Okay? Now listen, this fruit, these thoughts and actions, they can be good or they can be bad, all right? But here's the thing. Our thoughts and our actions, they reveal something and they reveal what's in us. Just like a tree produces fruit and it reveals what's going on inside. If you're a lemon tree, you produce lemons, right? Our fruit as human beings, they reveal what's in us and they reveal specifically various amounts of impurity, the poisonous soul or the poisonous um, soil, right? The sin. They reveal various amounts of impurity, various amounts of poison, various amounts of sin. Now, here's the question. Who is it revealed to? God God already sees it. So it's not revealed to him. He can already see it. 
He already knows the few, the fruit of your life. It primarily reveals things to you. And hear me. When we see the reality of the fruit that we're bearing in our life, our thoughts and our actions and the various amounts of impurity and poison and sin that are associated with our thoughts and actions, when, when, our, when the fruit in our lives is revealed, man, what we do in that moment is key. What we do in that moment is key. Let me give you an example, okay? Um, somebody in your life is rude to you. Maybe it's a cashier at a store. Am I the only one that's noticed that like customer service the last couple years because of COVID has just like taken a massive nosedive? I don't know what's going on, but I feel like, man, people don't really, people don't really care whether you need help at the store or not. They're just kind of like figure it out for yourself. But either way, so maybe it's a cashier at a store or maybe it's a neighbor or maybe it's somebody you live with or maybe it's a spouse or who, somebody close to you. Somebody's rude to you, okay? And so what do you do? <clears throat> That's a life's trial. It comes at you. You react, all right? And maybe you react by, retali- by, by uh, retaliating back to them. So you're rude back to them. That's the fruit that's taking place. Or maybe that's not your style. Maybe you don't retaliate by being rude back. Maybe you just think really awful thoughts about them. You, you ever do that? You ever, you ever like fantasize? about like the things that you could say, the rebuttals that you could make, like maybe an hour or two later you have this experience, you know, and then an hour or two later you're like, oh man, it would have been so great if I had said that. Or maybe you don't fantasize about the things that you would have said to them. Maybe you fantasize and think about all the bad things happening to them. Just like an orange tree produces oranges, people produce fruit based on what's happening in them on the inside at the root level. And the fruit is what reveals what kind of tree it is. Friends, the same thing's true of you and I. Okay, the fruit of our lives reveal things about us. Various amounts of impurity, various amounts of poison, various amounts of sin. So, I want you to get this picture, okay? Life's trials, they happen to us, they come at us. We react and bear fruit in our thoughts and our actions. And our thoughts and our actions reveal things about us. And what we do next there, like I said, is crucial. It's the key moment. What a person does at this point, you see where it says there in the orange, it says choose right below fruit. What a person does at this point is how the Bible distinguishes a Christian tree, if you will, from a non-Christian tree. We either choose to repent or not to repent. Remember, repent, I'm sorry and I'm stopping. I've turned my back on God and his ways and I'm turning back to him. It's a changing of mind, it's a changing of direction, it's a changing internally and externally, okay? Choosing his way. We have the choice to choose his way again or not to repent or not to repent. Now let's look at this really quickly, to repent. Now, this doesn't, this doesn't take a rocket scientist to think about this logically. What's the result of repentance? Of I'm sorry and I'm stopping. The result is there's gonna be less poison, 
right? You're putting, you're, you're turning away from it. There's gonna be less poison. The fruit is gonna be more pure over time. The more a person practices repentance, the less poison, the less sin there's gonna be in them over time, okay? <clears throat> more of God's kingdom, more of his way. Friends, this is the lifestyle of a Christian. The lifestyle of a Christian is not perfection. It's not. Jesus was perfect. He's the only perfect one. Um, you and I, <laughs> we are not perfect, okay? The lifestyle of a Christian is not about perfection, but rather a pattern of recognizing sinful fruit and then making the U-turn over and over and over and over again. That's what makes a Christian. You can see it got the little cross on top of the green box there, okay? Now, what about the other choice? And, and hear me, friends, there's only two choices. Whenever, we, whenever, whenever we, there's fruit in our lives, our actions and our thoughts, there's really only two choices, repentance or not to repent, okay? Let's look at that. Instead of repenting, people will deny, okay? So this looks something like, there's no poison in any of my fruit. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not bad. Denial. Or instead of repenting, we can defend. We can defend ourselves. Like, hey, I wouldn't have been rude to you if you weren't rude to me first. So when we, when we defend ourselves, ultimately what we're saying is that, that our sin, our poisonous fruit, if you will, is ultimately somebody else's fault. Okay, we defend and therefore we don't repent. Or we self-justify. Self-justify is when we abandon God's standards in favor of our own. I set the standard, he does not, you do not, I do. So I'm justified based on myself and my standards. This is what the Bible calls pride. And it's at the core, at the root of all sin. The result of living an unrepentant lifestyle, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out either. The result of living an unrepentant lifestyle is more poison. It, the fruit is less and less pure over time and it results in less and less of God's kingdom, less and less of his rule and his reign and his ways. I hope you're seeing this. Friends, the scripture tells us that in the same way you judge a tree by its fruit, you judge a Christian based on a lifestyle of repentance. In other words, the fruit of an apple tree is an apple. The fruit of a Christian is repentance and faith. That's what it is. Now listen, John the Baptist isn't done here, okay? <clears throat> in verse nine, he even calls out those religious VIPs, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says this, verse nine, and don't presume and say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. John the Baptist, man, he's, he's, he's making it very clear here. He goes, it's not your family that makes a, that makes a Christian. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham does not make you grafted into the family of God for eternity. He goes, just because your family line, it does not make you a Christian. Just because you're a child of Abraham doesn't mean you bear good fruit. Friends, I see this happen all the time. The same is true for us, man. 
The same is true for us. We think that all of these external things will ultimately save us. I go to church. I read my Bible. I pray. Those are wonderful, good things. Hopefully those are things that aid in you producing good fruit, but those are not in themselves the key to producing good fruit. It requires repentance. Friends, can I just talk to the youth for a second? This is a big deal. Hopefully you guys can see me and you're there. But youth in the room, we love you. We're for you. We have your back 100%. But listen, what matters is not that your parents are Christians or that you were raised in a Christian home or that you've been brought to church at these formative times of your life. What matters is that you learn to live a lifestyle of repentance, that you demonstrate trust in Jesus, that's faith, by living a lifestyle of repentance instead of a lifestyle of resistance. Friends, Christianity is not about perfection. It's about a pattern, a lifestyle of repentance, of turning away from sin and back to God and his ways. You judge a tree by its fruit. Now, John the Baptist still isn't done, okay? He also says something pretty intense. Look at verse 10. The ax is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. This brings me to my next point. And that is resisting God's kingdom results in the wrath of the king. Now, if you're anything like me, it is so much easier to see sin in other people. Uh, uh, Paul, the apostle, actually puts it this way in Romans 2. Listen to this. This is out of the New Living Translation, by the way. Check this out. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself. For you judge who... For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Listen to this. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? It's talking about hypocrisy. Verse four, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Other translations say it's his kindness that lead us to repentance. He's talking about repentance. And it's the kindness of God to us that that he intends to to turn us from sin. That diagram, throw that up again if you guys can. That orange circle, the key moment when we have a choice to make. Don't you see that's the kindness and grace of God to give us a choice there and not just destroy us? Let's keep going in verse five. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. Verse six, or verse seven, 
He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor of immortality that God offers. That's practicing repentance. Verse 8, but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. Friends, God hates sin. He hates sin because of what it does to people he loves. And because he's so loving, he has to deal with it. Looking the other way would not be loving. Pretending like nothing happening, brushing it under the rug would not be loving. If someone broke into my house and and, and attempted to, to harm my family, for that not to make me angry would be a problem. If I just, oh, it's fine, no big deal. God, God loves people and he hates sin. And he judges it. I want you to look back at this diagram one more time. I want you to see what a lifestyle of unrepentance leads to here. First of all, it leads to destruction, Right? The, the, the poison of sin, it, it destroys a person's life and not just their life. It starts to come out of them because they're bearing fruit and it starts to destroy other people's lives. So not just their life, but the lives of others. <clears throat> a lifestyle of unrepentance then leads to judgment, right? Like your, your, your sin is revealed. The fruit's on the branches, right? The fruit is on display, your thoughts and your actions. And hear me, the king, the true king, God himself, will hold you accountable for those things. And ultimately, a lifestyle of unrepentance is going to lead to eternal death. Because hear me, the, the poison of sin kills. Friends, resisting God's kingdom results in the wrath of the king. So I'll close with this. Um, recently, fairly recently, a friend of mine, he woke up in the middle of the night with intense pain. And at first he tried to shake it off, you know? It's like, you know, when you're like really tired in the middle of the night, and you're like, I don't want to get out of bed. I'll just kind of push through this. It got to the point where he just couldn't push through it any longer. The pain was getting too great. And so he ends up getting a ride to the hospital in the middle of the night because he knows something is not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And he makes his way to the hospital and they check him out. And they end up, um, if I remember correctly, they ended up taking an ultrasound. It was either an ultrasound or an x-ray, something like that. similar, right? Where they can see what's going on. And after the, the doctor was able to examine him and see what was going on inside of him, the doctor made a conclusion that if he didn't act now, it would be fatal. See, what was happening was his appendix, his appendix was, was spilling toxic contents into his body. It, it was literally poisoning him on the inside. And it needed to be removed immediately. Now, thankfully, my friend agreed with the doctor and he opted for the surgery and he's doing just fine. Friends, do you know what it means that God, 
Like the king invites you to repent. Hear me. It means that there's meaning in the trials that you face. Life's trials, it means that your suffering in life is not arbitrary. That means it's not meaningless. Like your trials actually have a purpose. They're like an x-ray. They reveal what's in you, to you. Why? Here's why. To enable you to see what God already sees. The, the, The toxic poison of sin within you. And to enable you to then choose a different way and experience healing. Friends, repentance is like opting for the surgery to remove the poisonous sin that's inside of you that leads to death. I want you to know something, friends. The invitation from God to people to repent is God's grace on display to you, to me. It's an opportunity to receive salvation from the poisonous sin that leads to death. It it literally is the opportunity to receive salvation when what you deserve is destruction. It's God's grace on display. It's the gospel, friends. At the cross, the king is punished instead of you and instead of me. Why? So you and I can enjoy him and his kingdom both now and forever. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Friends, don't you see God's grace on display with this? God in his kindness and his mercy gives us a choice. Repent or resist. Forgiveness or fire. Grace or the grave. Let us be people who every day of our lives choose to live a lifestyle of repentance, who humble ourselves before God and say, oh man, the fruit of my life, sometimes it's nasty. Sometimes it's filled with all sorts of poisons. And whenever I can identify even 0.0001% of poison, I wanna turn away from it because I want to experience more of his salvation. I don't want to be subject to judgment and destruction and death. I don't want more poison. I don't want my life to be marked by less purity, more poison, less of God's kingdom. I want to be freed from that. And don't you see, God's made a way for you to experience freedom. That's what salvation is, both now and forever. The fruit of repentance, friends. It's what the Christian does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving yourself to us. Thank you for being punished in our place for the sins that we commit, for the poison that spews out of us, both our thoughts and our actions. Jesus, you're so kind and you're so gracious. You're so so good to us. 
and you're patient and you give us a choice. You don't just destroy us when you see poisonous fruit in our lives. You give us a choice. Let us be people who choose to repent. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the king that makes repentance possible by offering yourself as a sacrificial substitute. Praise you, Jesus. Help us to live a lifestyle of repentance instead of a lifestyle of resistance. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. I love you, friends. Enjoy Jesus this morning, please. You guys can stand up if you're able. Let's kind of stretch it out. So I was thinking of uh, a number of things actually during that during that message, and I want to share. I want to share one real fast. Uh, I was actually thinking a lot about uh, a movie, not surprisingly. This is Doubtfire. It's uh, number forty on the top one hundred funniest of all time. If you've never seen it, um, number forty. And uh, I actually didn't think it was very funny. Uh, I watched it recently. I actually thought it was depressing. Has anybody watched it? <laughs> so depressing. Why? When I was a kid, I thought it was hilarious. And I watched it as an adult, and I'm like, good night. This is, this is horrible. Um, it just has a funny moment. Whatever. The point is, Robin Williams' character, his name is Daniel Hillard, if you haven't watched the movie, he's, he's a legit funny, it's like Robin Williams is basically being himself. Very funny guy, very gifted, very talented human being. But his life is actually falling apart. And if you haven't watched the movie, basically, you get like this window into it as he throws like a party for his son that's just like chaos. And his wife shows up and has to clean up the mess that he's made. And the reason why he's such a tragic figure in my mind is because when we, Tom talked about a few things. He talked about denial. He talked about defenses. He talked about self-justifying, self-righteousness, ultimately pride, the things that keep us from repenting. Daniel Hillard in the, that movie is basically a living embodiment of all of these things. Like he just won't acknowledge that he has messed up. He will not acknowledge that he's been a jerk. He will not acknowledge that he's treated his wife poorly. He just comes up with excuses and just points the finger somewhere else. He just can't own his part. And that's why the movie is no longer funny to me, because it's like, this is tragic. And the movie ends in a really, um, it, goes, it, gets from, it goes from bad to worse, and he starts to cover things up, he starts to hide, he starts to pretend that he's someone that he's not. And the movie ends with him like getting in his car with his kids and driving off. And I thought it was like a fitting picture, because the, re the reason why is because that sort of life of self-justifying, of being unable to acknowledge a contribution to conflict, of being able to see like, Here's where we've been wrong. It leads to isolation. It got me thinking about Adam and Eve. If you've never read that story, or if you haven't in a while, what happens to them after they sin? Where do they go? Out of the garden. They go out of Eden. 
It's like this lonely, sad picture of someone or of a couple of people that just leave. And that's the picture of Daniel Hillard. And that's the picture ultimately of the scribes, the Pharisees, the people that, that Tom was talking about today, the religious people who will not acknowledge their own sin and brokenness. They just end up leaving. They walk, they write themselves out of the story, the story that's for them. So no longer number 40 for me. It's not funny. It's depressing. But it's kind of on point because that's ultimately what, what sin does to us. It makes us unable to actually acknowledge, hey, we're wrong. I'm wrong. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I actually hurt you when I did this or I actually hurt you when I didn't do that. Ultimately, it shows up in our relationships. Sin shows up in relationships. So why do I mention all that? I think there's a couple of things. I think number one, uh, for some of us this morning, it might be an opportunity to actually repent. And I liked how Tom phrased it, turning back to God. If sin is turning our back to God, repentance is turning back to him. And so for some of us this morning, the opportunity is in front of us to repent, to actually turn back to him. Perhaps there's been denials, defenses, self-justifying, excuses, all these different things that we've potentially have marked our lives. Like We actually have an opportunity to turn to God and receive what? Mercy, grace, love, healing, and an opportunity to actually make things right with God and with people. So it's an opportunity to repent. For some of us, I think that the, the word is rejoice. Why do I say that? Uh, I actually thought it was kind of funny. John the Baptist is like pointing at some stones and is like, God can work with this. You brood of vice, you snakes. You can work with that. Um, I was thinking about stones. Uh, they're uh, cold, dead, and uh, lifeless. That's what God can work with, cold, dead, and lifeless. Uh, and, and it got me thinking about Ezekiel. Here's some, some fascinating words. The prophet Ezekiel, talking to God's people, he says this, Ezekiel 36. This is a, a promise of what Jesus would do, ultimately. Now, in hindsight, we know that this is Jesus' work. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. So he's talking to people who are guilty, people who, are, uh, who have, through their sin, walked away from God, turned their back on God. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, there's a stony, stubborn heart, and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I'll put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. And then it goes on from there. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I will cleanse you from your sins. I'll repopulate your cities and your ruins will be rebuilt. And the fields that used to lie empty and desolate once again will be farmed. There'll be fruit. And I will bring you back. People will say, this former wasteland is now like the Garden of Eden. People who had been sent away, like Adam and Eve, welcomed back freely. There's an invitation to turn, an opportunity to rejoice. Both of them are in front of you today. You get to choose. I think for some of us too, it's the last thing I'll say that we can sing. There's actually an opportunity to reveal your heart to God. To just say, here's where I'm at. Potentially reveal your heart to other people too. But start with him. This is where I'm at today. 
this is where I'm struggling. Here's how I'm responding to you. Here's how I'd like to respond, but I just don't know how to. It's an opportunity for you to be really honest with him. One of the things that I love about this, John the Baptist, he's so honest. Uh, it's really uncomfortable, the kind of honesty that's in the Bible, but it's, it's here, it's for us. So for you today, it might be repent, turn back to God in some way. It might be to rejoice because he's given you a new heart. Maybe you see like repentance and change, new patterns in your life, you can rejoice and you can give him praise this morning, which is amazing. And then for others of you, it might be an opportunity to actually like get real about what's going on in your life. So I'm gonna leave you with those three things and we're gonna sing and I'll be back up in a few minutes to close. Mike, you wanna come on up? Mike, uh, if you guys don't know, this is Mike. Uh, he has a, uh, something that he felt like was on his heart and on his mind uh, for our gathering and I wanted to have him share it with you guys and then I'll have something else to add at the end. Guys, um, <clears throat> so when Tom was talking about that fruit, and then there's a choice. I got the sense that that choice to go one way or the other is really being sort of hindered by the reality of what the fruit really looks like. There might be shame there. There's guilt there that's actually stopping someone or multiple people from making a choice towards repenting sort of stuck in that spot. And I think that the Lord wants to free people from that so they can make a choice to repent. They don't have to be stuck in that guilt and that shame, that place that's hindering them. Um, so I'm going to make myself available in the back if um, that resonates or whatnot. I know there's other people back there that would love to pray for you guys as well. So, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, we do have uh, prayer ministers available in the back. If, if that resonates with you, Mike will be available too. And I'll be up here in the front as well. Uh, so I want to encourage you, if this is hitting home, uh, don't leave without getting prayer. I think, I think the Lord does have an agenda every time we gather uh, to bless us, to help us, to love us, to build us up and encourage us. And um, I just want to add one thing um, real quick. I remember since I was talking about Mrs. Dotfire earlier, there's a moment in the movie where he actually is talking to his, his wife, but he's Mrs. Doubtfire, so he's not himself, where the kind of the light starts to break in. And he's like, kind of like, is that what I'm really like? Because they're talking about him, but she doesn't know that it's him because he's dressed as a, you know, whatever. Uh, and this, this moment where the light dawns, and he's like, that's what I'm really like. And it's not what he thinks. Now, what makes the movie tragic is that he doesn't jump on it and, and make changes right away. And the truth is, like, we're human. It takes time to, ch to make changes. But I, I want to almost put this in front of you. Like, if, if there's been moments where, like, the light has kind of been, like, breaking in this morning, where you're getting, like, a, a, a bit of self-understanding of, oh, man, this is actually, this is me. Don't miss this moment to actually take a step of faith. Go get prayer. Uh, go unpack with someone. Go reveal what's happening in your heart so that you don't miss out on what, how God might want to actually bless you and bring freedom and joy into your life. Uh, with that said, I think we got one more song. Is that right, Andy? Okay. One more song and then, uh, and then we'll wrap up.
You guys can grab a seat. Uh, in a lot of ways, the Bible story starts in a garden. It starts with a man and a woman in the garden with God, enjoying him, experiencing life with him. And then there's a fall, there's a tree of life, and there's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the woman takes, gives to the man, and the fall happens. One thing they weren't supposed to do, they did. And then they were sent out of the garden into isolation in many ways, into darkness. Here's how the story ends. Revelation 22. This is, this is John who gets a revelation of, of Jesus Christ. It says, And the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. Tree of life. Bearing twelve crops of fruit, a fruitful garden, and the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. And it goes on uh, from there. So the story starts in a garden, ends in a garden, a fruitful place where God and people are one. And there's an invitation for us to experience that kind of life now. That's where it's heading. But what I love about this, this, uh, this story, is that even though humanity was sent out of the garden, humanity is welcomed back in now in Christ, Messiah. It's simply a matter of receiving, of humbling ourselves to receive what he has done, of saying yes to his grace, yes to his mercy, yes to his way, which we're going to dive into over the coming weeks. We're going to talk about the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about Jesus' way a lot over the course of this uh, series. With that said, I just want to encourage you. The invitation is there. Take him up on it. His desire is to be with you, with all of us, in a garden, enjoying fruitful life, enjoying abundance, enjoying mercies, enjoying what we were created for. I'm going to pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, this the reminder of, of repentance, that it's, it's turning to you, and what you have to give us is good, that what you extend to us is life, and an abundant life and joy. And so I pray that you would help us, even this week, in those moments when we're tempted to turn our back to you, that you would show us what it looks like to actually turn to you, turn to you to receive your love and your mercy, and to become people who have completely new habits, new patterns, not perfect, but ultimately that are exhibiting a new pattern of life, of repentance. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that they're new every day. Thank you for the new hearts that you give us. And thank you for the promise that you extend to us that we'll be welcomed back uh, as we embrace your son, that we will be given a rich welcome into your kingdom. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys. Uh, thank you, band. Uh, wonderful. Uh, thank you guys in the back, Harrison and David. Thank you guys so much. Uh, today was a bit of a different Sunday. No Mark, no Tom. But you guys rallied. You did an amazing job. So thank you. You really served us well. Love you. Enjoy your week. There'll still be people around to pray if you want to get some prayer after.